customary when laying the first chapter of Devorim, Parshas Devorim, when we come to the Posuk, Echo Esolavadi, that's Devorim one twelve. In the context of Moshe's first speech, in which he recounts passing over the Amorites and the land of the Canaanites and the Euphrates, and God saying, See, I've given the land before you come and take possession of the land. And then Moshe says, in the uh, narrating God, I said to you at that time, Moshe says, I said to you, God, I cannot carry, I cannot carry you alone. Lo chal levadi se'et etchem. I cannot carry you alone. And actually, Rashi brings to Tanchum, like, what are you talking about? Is it possible that Moshe was not able to judge Israel? Because carry alone means I can't take care of all your legal problems as the judge. It's interesting. Normally, we, we uh, attribute that to the Rabboni Shalom. Here, Rashi is saying, in the name of the Bal Medrash, a man who did everything. He, 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 the man who took them out of Egypt and parted the sea and took them out of the manor and Vahegis is Ashlav and he made the pheasants fly to them. He can't judge them. So Rashi brings the, the, the Tanchuma gives an excuse why he can't. But the, the fact is, he says, Hashem has increased you and behold, you're like the stars of heaven. So there are just too many of you. Hashem from Yosef Alechem and he blesses them. And then in the middle of that, he says, Echo Esolavadi. We just got through saying, Lo uchal levadi I just cannot handle you. You're just too much, too many. Not that, nothing negative about it. God multiplied you like the stars. You're just too many. How can one judge take care of all these cases? And then he says, Echo Esolavadi. How can I bear it alone? And now he goes dark and says, Torchachem, Umasachem, Verivachem. Your troubles, your burden, and your quarrels. And then next verse he goes back to the positive. Let's make a basin. Let's take 70 elders and we'll make them into Dayonim. What is this intersection? How can I take it? He, it's almost a criticism. I can't take it. I can't take your problems and your quarrels and your and your burdens. That's not what God had said to him. That's not what he spoke to God. That, that the excuse there was it's just too much for me to handle. And yet when he comes to his speech here and he addresses Am Yisrael, it, it implies that it's partly their fault. I can't handle it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Obviously, Rashi and Midrashim are very bothered by that. Rashi says, Rashi is bothered by three expressions. Just say, I can't handle you because you're a bad voice. Why are you saying your troubles, your burdens, and your and your quarrels? So Rashi, bringing the Sufri, says, those three expressions represent three character defects. Torchachen, Torchanin, Shehoyu Yisrael, Torchanin. They were troublesome, troublesome. Meaning, not the trouble you have, but the troubles you cause. That is, he can't judge the people without the assistance of other Dayonim because of the trouble they cause in the law courts as litigators. So what's the what's the example of Torchanin, a tircha, a troublesome litigator? 
So this is this is what he what they this is the this is the technique they would do to be good lawyers. baldino. One lawyer would see his adversary, so he knows that the case is going against him in the law courts. What would he say? Judge, before your honor, before we go to the jury, I got a lot more aidim. I got more witnesses to bring for my clients. Right at the end, he should have brought them in the beginning. It's a ruse to delay the sentencing. Or, I've got more arguments to bring. Wait a minute, don't go to the sentencing. I've got some, wait a minute, I've got more arguments. He doesn't really, it's just a ruse, it's a technique, it's courtroom tactics. They engage in courtroom tactics, that's causing me trouble. I, I, I'm a straight guy, and they're now, they're, they're, they're Jewish lawyers, and they're engaging in courtroom tactics. That's the Torahim. Masachem, because it cannot be redundant, so it must mean something else. What is your burden? Malamet Shehoyu Apikorosun, that they were heretics. Hiktim Moshe Lutzeis, this is the example of the heresy, and I have a big problem with Rashi's terminology, as do others, but, but we'll come back to that. So this is the example. First example was tricky lawyers. The second example is heretics. What's the heresy? Hiktim Moshe Lutzeis, if Moshe went out early, it comes to work early. So what would happen? Omru, you know, they're standing by their, by their tents, very bored, and they have nothing to do but gossip. Why did this Ben Amram, the son of so-and-so, he doesn't mention Moshe's name, just Ben Amram, that's so-and-so. What's he up to? Maybe he's in the doghouse. Maybe things aren't going right in his house, in the kitchen. And so she kicked him out or whatever because he went to work early. Achelot says, and if he came late to work, Omru, they said, Why on earth did he, why did he tarry in going to, to the law court? Why is he late? What do you think? You know what he's doing? He's sitting and plotting plans. He's devising plans. And he's thinking thoughts against you. That's, those machshavos are not good thoughts. They're, cl- they're plotting thoughts. And cheshbonos um, is a pun for machshavos. Cheshbonos and machshavos. So the Masachem is uh, is Shehoyu Apikorsen. Now Rashi did not quote Sifri. If you look up the Sifri for Masachem, the Sifri says Masa is a burden. Your burdens. So what is your burdens that you were carrying? Well, they were talking. They were talking Loshon Hora because we know from Mishle 30 that Masa. And we know from, from Isaiah and Jeremiah, Masa can also be speech. They receive the word from above. Your speech is your Masa. So Masa Chem, uh, according to the Sifri, is your burden punning on Masa, your bad speech, your Loshan horror. We're going to come back to why Rashi then used the word Apikurus. And lastly, Rivachem, 
your riv, your quarrelsome nature, your quarrels. Malamecha hoyu rogvim. They were petulant. They were nitpicking. Okay, so my question then comes, why is Rashi saying shehoyu apikorsen? Now, the Tzedel Aderech is a latter-day achron that talks about Rashi and Sifzei Chachomim. The Tzedel Aderech says, I saw a Gemara in Sanhedrin, which defines what an apikoros is. And there they say that someone who does not appreciate Torah scholars is considered there's a laundry list of what an apikoros is, right? The first is, you know, the ultimate apikoros, Elisha ben Avuya. Now, if you want to understand the definition of apikorosus, you have to go to the Gemara in Chagiga, and you have to understand what happened to Elisha ben Avuya, because he is par excellence the Epicurean, the apikoros. What made him the apikoros? There are three different stories in the Gemara. The first is very enigmatic, that he listened to Greek music. Ah, he listened to Greek music from childhood. So when he went out and he would hear on the streets a chorus or a concert, he would be drawn to it by the, by the quality and the beauty of, of Greek music, meaning he was attracted to Greek beauty, the notion of beauty, the human body being beautiful, the music being beautiful, the pursuit of beauty. And um, he would go in and he would start schmoozing with them. And then they would say, listen, you know, beauty is also in the body. You got to stay fit. Come to the gymnasium, the gymnasium. All right. So he went to the gymnasium and they're all naked. And <laughs> he's Jewish and he's mahul. He's circumcised. So one thing led to another. That's what led to his being going, started with the music, then going to the gymnasium. Then they said, well, why don't you come and meet our teacher, Epicurus? And so he goes into the school of Epicurus, which is the school of, there are different schools of rhetoric in Greek culture. One of them is the school of Epicurus, which is the school of skepticism. <laughs> Now he goes back to Torah and he's become skeptical and he's questioning, which brings us to the second story about him, one leading to another, in my opinion. With that skepticism, he says there's nowhere in the Torah that it says, Tchiasamesim, nothing. It's all the oral law. And he sees a father telling his child, go up and shoo away the mother bird. So the child climbs the tree and attempts to shoo away a mother bird to bring the the ephrochim, the little eggs or, or the little fledglings. Those are the only two mitzvot in the Torah that you are rewarded with long life. So the kid is climbing the tree. Elisha ben Avuya is seeing him climb the tree, fulfilling one mitzvah of kibbutz avaim. Then he shoes away the mother bird, so he's fulfilled a double, the only two mitzvahs in which you are promised eternal life, or let's say a long life, and a twig breaks and he falls and he crashes and smashes his head and dies. On seeing that, our skeptic, Elisha ben Avuya, who does not have a very good appreciation of Torah Shabal Peb, 
where the whole idea of Tchiyas Mesim comes up, says, let din velet dayan. There is no judge and there is no justice. That's the second story about Elisha ben Avuya. The third one is a kind of mystical story in which there are four who went into the paradise, the Gemara and Chagiga tells us, four went into the mystical paradise. Rabbi Kiva, Nichnas Vishalom, Yotza Vishalom. Rabbi Kiva went in and came out whole. Ben Azai went in, Venifka, he went insane. Ben Zoma went in and when he came out committed suicide. And the fourth one was Elisha ben Avuya who went in to the paradise and came out an Apikoros. That's the fourth explanation. Um, I think I've said before that paradise is not necessarily the mystical tomes of Torah, the paradiso, um, but was the pardes. Pardes is an orchard. And the Greek scholars lived in a home and taught in the academy. And in between the two, there was an orchard where they would meet their students for tutorials. Arba Nichnas Le Pardes in my opinion, is four went to engage with this Greek scholar. We know the, the Gemara in Bava Basra talks about the Sabbath of Atuna, the wise men of Atuna, Athens. So we know there was interaction, not necessarily that they went there, that they went to the representatives in Greek Palestine, and they, was, they were engaging in these discussions. And when engaging with the school of rhetoric and the school of skepticism, Unfortunately, only Rabbi Akiva came out whole because it was so powerful a rhetoric. And Elisha ben Avuya became an Epicurean, meaning he became a disciple of Epicurus. So those are the stories. When Elisha ben Avuya was going with Rabbi Meir on Shabbos, Rabbi Meir did not give up on him as his Rebbe. And so Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya, Gemara tells us, is on a horse. It's Shabbos. He doesn't care. And Rabbi Meir is walking inside outside him, and they're talking and learning until they get to the Tchum Shabbos. And it's Elisha ben Avuya that reminds his pupil, it's come to the Tchum Shabbos. You have to turn back. The Apikoros is telling Rabbi Meir, the great Rabbi Meir, you're so engrossed in our learning, you don't realize it's come to the end of the boundaries of the Sabbath Tchum. You need to turn back. And Rabbi Meir, so beautiful, the story touches the heart. You can come back and do tshuva and, and somehow come back to the fold. And so he says, Shamati Batkol, I heard a, a divine echo. Me'achor ha'paragud, from the other side of the curtain that divides the mortal world from the immortal world. The pasuk, shuvu bonim shovavim, shuvu bonim shovavim. That is, return, O wayward trespassers, meaning Jeremiah 3, yes? Shuvu bonim shovavim, return, you backsliding children, ve'ashuva, and I will heal your backslidings. And then he says, and that's for everybody. Everyone has the ability to do tshuva, chutz me'acher, except me. That's what he'd heard, meaning I'm beyond the pale. I'd heard above uh, that I was beyond the pale. Okay, let's go back to our Rashi. The definition of apikorosus is very clear. There's nothing to do like here. Rashi is saying, masachem, you're, you're, you're gossiping, 
right? Moshe would leave early. They'd said he's in the doghouse. Moshe would come late. He's scheming. What's that got to do with Apikorosus? Apikorosus, we told you the definition of Apikorosus. Doesn't believe in the oral law. Doesn't uh, b believe that um, the mitzvahs have a reward in the next world. Uh, he's an Epicurean. He believes in skepticism. What's it got to do with gossip? That's not what one of the definitions of Apikorosus is. And so it comes along the, the Tzedah Laderach and says, well, I did find something. Not in Chagiga when it comes to the definition of an Apikorus, but in a Gomorrah in Sanhedrin 99b, in which the definition, one of the lists of definitions of an Apikorus is that he doesn't appreciate Torah scholars. It's a very broad definition. So I wanted to suggest that actually that could be related to the gossip and Lashon Hara about Moshe. Why? It doesn't just mean I don't appreciate a Talmud Chochem. I don't think it means that. To appreciate a Talmudic scholar means that you appreciate the scholarship of the Talmudic scholar. And what is the scholarship of the Talmudic scholar versus the scholarship of a Greek scholar. I think it is the fact that we have a canon, a canon, a, a tradition of interpreting the written law according to certain guidelines. And there are outer limits of that interpretation, which we call the canon, starting with what books get into the canon and what books stay out of the canon. So we have the 24 books of Tanakh. That's in the canon. What's out of the canon? Maccabees. Wait a minute. All about Hanukkah is in Maccabees. Yeah, that's out. Judith, Tobit, Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, all the intertestamental literature between the Old Testament and the Pseudepigrapha, all out, all out by Chazal. Why? Everyone is interpreting the Old Testament. And I think that that's exactly the point. The canon isn't just who's in and who's out. The canon starts like that. Okay, so these 24 books, they're in the canon. And from now on, we're going to only Doresh those 24 books. Well, what about Maccabees? What about that? Nope, that's out of the canon. Sid Lehman, L-E-I-M-A-N, spent his life researching the criteria, Brooklyn College, the criteria for what gets in and what gets out of the canon, whether it was political, whether it was religious. Remember, at the time the canon was set down, there were like 12 different sects besides the Pharisees claiming the original Old Testament as their authoritative text. The Qumran sect, the Essenes, the Sadducees, the Damascus sect, the early Christians, the Therapeutae in Egypt, and the therapeutic nuns in Philadelphia in Egypt. Everyone is writing manuscripts and recording their pesher, their interpretation of the Old Testament. Comes along the Pharisees, which means the Torah scholars, and, and canonizes what we consider a sacred text. And from then on, Torah is doresh from those. And that notion of canon carries over into the tchum, that is, there is not only the 24 
books and the way we interpret, but how we interpret. We have ways of interpreting the text. Those bore out because of our self-definition of what it meant to be a Pharisee in those first centuries of the Common Era. And that included the Shloshesre Midos, the 13 hermeneutical principles. Lieberman says many of them came from the Greek school of rhetoric, but we won't talk about that leakage. The 13 principles by which the Torah's Nidoreshes on the Rabbi Yishmael, right? Shloshemidos, Shah Torah Nidoreshes. And sometimes we see what happens at the borders of that. And I mentioned to you before about five times in Medrash, that same Rabbi Meir gets chastised by Papa. Alma Papa the Rabbi Meir. Dayecho Rabbi Meir. Hey, stop it right there. Don't go any further with your drush. You are being Doresh outside the barriers. And it's usually when he gets very enigmatic about the divines and human suffering and criticizing the divine through one of my Mishalim. And Papa then holds him back and says, enough, enough. Wondering maybe he'd been influenced by his Rebbe, Elisha. And so that, I feel, allows us to resolve the definition of Apikurus between the Gemara and Sanhedrin, in which it says someone who does not appreciate Torah scholars and what we defined in Chagiga as the Apikurus, in as much as it's not the appreciation of him being learning all night and governing and piety it has nothing to do with that. It's appreciating the technique of Torah Shabalpeh and how it is derived from Torah Shabbat and the concept of Allah Cholomoshe Misinai and the concept of the Shloshes Midos and the borders by which we define Torah Shabalpeh. And if you don't appreciate that, then you will leak into Greek appreciation, Christian appreciation. I, I, I was apologizing in the beginning for my use of uh, the New Testament yesterday in my Daf Ditti called the Mustard Seed. Because the Mustard Seed is a, is a mashal that's used in Matthew. Well, for me, Matthew was a rabbi who engaged in the same hermeneutics of Midrashic interpretation as his counterparts down the street, the early Palestinian Tanaim. So for me, it was, a, I didn't say it was a sacred text, but I was very interested in the literary way the parable of the seed, the mustard seed, is used for those who will get into the kingdom of heaven for those who won't. And I tried to show how that's used in the parallel text in Breshit Rabbah. I apologize because I was doyresh Torah chutz I went outside the border of our tradition into the New Testament. So forgive me for that. All right. I want to end with the fact that this very posuk, because of its darkness and its singularity, because right after that, Moshe carries on, bring me a basin, bring me 70 elders, he's telling us. So what this, this one verse is so out of place. Is it talking about the present, the future? And so we have a tradition that when we're laning on this Shabbos, 
the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av, we actually change our trop, our musical cantillations. So where we would say, usual trop. And then he switches. And then he carries on back in his normal way. What a beautiful way, talking about Torah Shabbat in our tradition, what a beautiful way of showing that there is a deep connection between Moshe's prophecy, even though he's talking about the present tense. I can't handle your troubles. I can't handle this. I can't handle that. And what we will see looking back in history, in which that was only, not only for that time, but prophetic for Echa, the book of Lamentations and the destruction of the temple and the Hurban. And I want to bring you a mashal from Echa Rabbah, chapter one, the very first one after all the Petichtaot, which we will be reading on Thursday. Mashal Lamahadavadome. The the Eicha says on the Pasuk, Eicha Yashva Abadad, how the city is so alone because all the Jews have been killed or sent out into exile. And so Jeremiah is Mekonain, it's a kina on the city. And so it says, Eicha Yashva. And the Bala Medrash in Eicha Rabbah now goes back to Moshe's statement in Devorim. And says, Shlosha nitnabu bilashon echa. In the whole of our canonical text of the Bible, there's only three times in which three separate prophets were prophesying, not prophetically meaning into the future, but just channeling, prophesying, nitnabu, bilashon echa, using the word echa. Number one, Moshe. Oma Moshe echa esolavadi, al posuk from Devarim. Number two, Yeshayahu, because Yeshayahu in 121 says, Oh, how the, hit, the, hit, the city has become a hooker, a harlot, a place for licentiousness. Isaiah's prophesying, meaning he's chastising the people. Repent, repent. The city has become a harlot. And finally, Jeremiah, who is Mekonain, after the fact, how the city has become so desolate and lonely. And now he brings this mashal in order to highlight this, the, the enigmatic and poignant nature of this one word that reflected three prophets in three separate time periods that he conflates together in the parable in this fictional narrative and says mashal... It is like Le Matrona, this Roman princess, this lady of wealth who could vote in the Roman Senate. She was an important lady. She had three attendants in the course of her life. The parable goes, the narrator says, 
The first attendant who attended to her when she was in her glory, and she had her cafe house days in Paris, and everyone would come to visit with her. Echad ra'a pachazusa, then one saw her in her state of intemperateness when she had lost everything and she had to sell her body. She had to go into harlotry in order to make a living. And the third one saw, the third attendant, saw her when she was in her state of nivul, her shame. Before I go to the nimshal, the parable is just so beautiful. The Bala Medrash is, is saying, Echa, Echa, Echa. In his imagination, he's pulling down from the canonical text the three places where the semantic word Echa occurs and says three prophets use the expression of Echa. Now he pulls down from his shelf a mashal. He had a stock of Mashalim, Mashal of the King, Mashal of the Matruna, Mashal of Melech Ben. And he brings this Mashal of the Matron, the Matrunisa, who went through three life cycles in her time. I'm just reading this crazy book called Carrie Fisher. She was Princess Layla in Star Wars. And it's really a story about Debbie Reynolds, her, her mother, who she adored. And so she talks about Debbie Reynolds at her high point when she had a mansion and she had uh, a room just to get dressed as Debbie Reynolds. And then she had, then Eddie Fisher walked out on her and married uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and took all her money. <laughs> I mean, it's just exactly what we're talking about, this stardom, you know, this Hollywood stardom from rags to riches. She says, I come from white trash in Texas. Then I go to Hollywood and then the money's taken away from me. It's just so it's well written and it's hilarious. Anyway, this is this the mashal, you know. The, 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 the mashal is three attendants sequentially in her life story, in her greatness, when she had to sell herself and in her degradation. And he then says, that applies. Kach, Moshe ra'a et Yisrael bikfodam v'shalvatam. Moshe saw them in their greatness, in their glory and in their tranquility. So he doesn't see our posuk in a negative way, the Rashi sees it. Rashi sees it, I can't handle you. Look what you're doing to me. Here the Balamedrash says that that posuk is the glorious period because looking back from the Khurban, oh my gosh, that was a glorious time. We were in our Kavod and Shalva. That's the Matrunisa in her greatness. And then, Yeshayara Otamba Pachazusam. Yeshayahu saw them in their state of intemperateness, saying, she has become a harlot. And Jeremiah saw her that city was so great and how she dwells with people. And the Toldos Yaakov Yosef actually uh, comments on this in a very, very um, precise way. You know, before he came a Chosid, he was a huge Litvak and he was a huge Talmud Chochem. And then he met the Baal Shem. So 
you really have to know Lambdas to understand the Toldus. It's not, it's, it, it comes through a very difficult way because he's fighting the Misnagdim and at the end he adds a Knech. So he goes, Neshamat Moshe Nitgalgel Becholdo. Those three prophets were a Gilgal, a reincarnation of, of Moshe. Moshe isn't Moshe, Yeshayahu isn't Yeshayahu. There are leaders in every generation that are Gilgulim of the pri previous one. So Yeshayahu Amar Echahayatalazona. So Isaiah says, Oi, how she's become a Zona. Shesarami Menu. Yeshayahu was talking about the divine human interaction. That the husband doesn't want to deal with his wife because she's going partying every night. So he, Jerusalem, is the Shekhinah that's complaining that she's being treated like a zona. The Adain Karia Neemana, but it's still called the ear ne'emana. At that stage, it's still called the faithful city. Sheha'ir adain ne'emana shelonistalek. Because it was still connected in the sense that he was complaining that the Rabboni Shalom, the Shechina, shouldn't leave the city. It was still kiryat ne'emana. It was still connected even though the people were misbehaving. But by the time of Yirmiyahu, when he is complaining, Shechina had left the Beis HaMikdash, left Jerusalem. She now sits Badad, meaning disconnected from the Rabon Shlolom, left and disconnected from the people. As it says, she is alone, the city, Ravatiam. She is bereft of her people, bereft of Shechina, bereft of everything. So the, so the beautiful deep reading of the Toldos is, the Medrash just says, Moshe, that period was in their Kavod, Bikvodam, Beshalvatam. And then the prophetics was in her degradation. So I wanted to su suggest that the Toldos actually, the Toldos Yaakov Yosef, in his very close reading and his erudition, then sees the three levels as degrees of separation. There's original connection with the divine in the wilderness, a mild disconnection, still connected to the divine, but warning, Isaiah warning us about our harlotry, our lusting after other cultures, and then finally, only finally, the total disconnect in Jeremiah. So I thought that was a very interesting reading, but both the Toldos and the Medrash Rabbah does not read it the way Rashi reads it, as a negativity in uh, Parshas Devarim, which got me thinking, of course, uh, why would Rashi say that? And uh, I think that I've said this before, Rashi is uh, looking from his balcony in uh, Troy, with Richard the Lionheart walking through France on his way to recapturing Jerusalem from the infidel and making it a Christian city once more. And he is very bothered by that. We see that throughout his anti-Christian polemics. And it may be that he's seeing in a tragic way Moshe Rabbeinu already here 
in Bamidbar, in the beginning of the four uh, speeches of Tavarim that he will exhort Am Yisrael, uh, and seeing it in a tragic way, Eicha, uh, the way Rashi himself saw it. We should all have an easy fast, everybody. Take care.